Welcome to episode 14 of BizTalk with Bill Roy. Our goal for this podcast is to provide you with insight into the people, places, and organizations that make up Wichita's important business community. Thanks for listening. A note about the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal available today. Shopping online versus shopping in a store. That's our big story this week. We talked to several Wichita businesses about how they're competing with the convenience of online shopping and the Amazons and Walmarts of the world. They say they can provide what the online retailers can't, service, and a great experience. Our thanks to Sarah Bagby of Watermark Books and Cafe, Tad Snarenberger at Tad's Locker Room, Lucinda's owner Valerie Reimers, and Janelle King of JK Design and The Workroom, who was the guest, by the way, on episode 11. Craig Bay has left the Greater Wichita Partnership for Greener Pastures. Piston Aircraft Deliveries are up. And this week's top 25 list, commercial real estate brokerages. You can also see who filed bankruptcy, who made a real estate deal, or who owes back taxes in the leads section. All that and much more in this week's Wichita Business Journal. Welcome to the Wichita Business Journal Biz Talk Podcast. Talking business is what the commercial banking team here at Equity Bank does best. Visit equitybank.com slash napkin dash stories. Ron Estes was elected in April to replace Mike Pompeo as the 4th District Congressman from Kansas. Since then, he's been trying to set up his office, get his staff in place, and keep up with everything that's going on in D.C. these days. Episode 14 is part one of our discussion. Congressman Estes talks about Texas relief money and how to keep it from being politicized, like the legislation for Superstorm Sandy a few years ago. I asked him what business owners have been telling him while he's been back in the district— and we discuss NAFTA and trade, oil and gas, health care, and privatizing air traffic control. Kansas 4th District Representative Ron Estes with us. Thanks for being here, Congressman. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Sort of first things first, uh, we're all watching as uh, things are unfolding in Texas. It seems every day there's another challenge. Uh, hopefully rescues are pretty much done at this point, but... Um, we've still got lots of destruction and devastation down there. One of the things you'll have to vote on when you go back, I'm sure, is a Hurricane Harvey relief bill. Um, the destruction's massive. That bill's going to have to be massive. How much do you, it's going to be in the billions, we know that. How much do you think is, is going to be part of that bill to help those folks out in Texas? Yeah, it, that's a terrible disaster. Uh, you, you see that unfolding as uh, this hurricane was unique in the extent of uh, stopping where it was and, and dropping as much water as it did, you know, on, on Texas and, and now moving into Louisiana. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that just look at the pictures and the amount of uh, buildings in that that were flooded and, and such levels for right. downtown buildings and houses. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we'll have to look at oversight and make sure things are going well. I, I'm on the, over, the Homeland Security uh, committee, which is uh, FEMA is one of those agencies that mm-hmm. we we oversee there, and uh, I've been pleased so far with the progress in terms of how they've been re- been responding. So uh, that's that's a positive sign. In terms of looking at the at the cost, uh, there is some money already appropriated uh, in the budget for for disaster relief and supporting FEMA. Uh, there's still money left. Uh, uh, the last I saw was about three point three billion out of the seven billion dollar appropriations. Uh, now the problem with that is you don't know what you don't know when you're when you're budgeting for the year and and, and figuring out what to appropriate. So uh, obviously with a with a major catastrophe like this, it's uh, uh, 
it's going to be more than a typical year. And so we've got to come back and look at that. I haven't seen numbers that have been reported or that we're planning to, to look at, but obviously that'll be one of those things that we want to look at. One of the things that uh, we have to guard against is the temptation when one of these must pass bills like, uh, you know, how do we, how do we uh, do some disaster relief is uh, you tend to get lots of pork barrel spending right. that gets added to it as Super well. Superstorm so Sandy. That, that, that's that a was a perfect example, example of, of all of that wasteful spending that got added to it because uh, people knew that had to pass. So that's one of those things you want to guard against. How do you go through that process and make sure that it's not politicized. Part of what you need to do is just make sure from the front that uh, more and more members talk about, we, we don't want that to happen. And I know there's been some discussion uh, even this week about, you know, the Texas senators who, who obviously want support for, um, you know, for the disaster there in, in Texas. But, uh, you know, they were critical of, of a Superstorm standing and all the, all the pork barrel spending that got added to that. So, you know, it's, it's making sure you make a case on the front end of uh, this is what we want to do. We want to solve this problem and we don't want to use it as an opportunity to, to, uh, to spend money on special interest or, or other wasteful spending. Certainly our thoughts are with all those people down in Texas. It is just devastating and heartbreaking to see all that down there. We certainly are, yes. Well, you have been back in the district for the month of August. You have had some town halls. What are you hearing from your constituents as you come back? And this is your first real break from from taking over the office. That's right. Typically what we do on the schedule is – They'll they'll build the whole schedule for the year in January, and uh, most months it's roughly three weeks in Washington, and we travel back and forth from the district, and then one week is in the district, and then of course August is that that unique month where we're we're not scheduled to be doing anything in Washington. Uh, most of us spend the time uh, in the district. Of course, some members that have family before they go back to school do a, a family vacation or something, and. But it, it's been great opportunity to get out across the district uh, this month, and and we, we've gone to farm bureau dinners, we've gone to to meetings with schools and businesses, and and uh, you know holding some town hall listening tours and, and stops around the district. And I think what we're hearing is is one uh, people want us to accomplish things in Washington. I mean that's uh, what they elected us for, particularly elected a Republican House and and Republican president and and uh, Republican majority in the Senate, and uh, they want us to, to accomplish things. And so that's the big push that we need to keep keep working towards. That uh, people in the district are still supportive of the president, and uh, you know they want they want his agenda that they they agree with. They voted for him for that reason. I mean, one of the, one of the problems he's he's struggling with right now is the the Senate's way behind on on confirming his nominees. And, and there's there's roughly 350 nominees that the president uh, appoints that have to be confirmed by the Senate, and they, the cabinet secretaries and undersecretaries and and ambassadors. And so through June, only about 10 percent of those had been confirmed. And we're hearing those that some of those ha- haven't been made though either. They haven't received them from it, the administration. It, it's a it's a mixed bag. Part of that you get into the process of. Okay, if the cabinet secretary is not confirmed for two or three months, then they can't make their selections of who's going to be their undersecretaries, which then drags that process out. So I, I know there's some some nominations that still haven't happened, and, and part of that's uh, uh, because of that, that, that whole length in time. Uh, all the secretaries have been confirmed now, so they're in place. So now they can start to move forward. So that's that's one of the things that's on the plate for the Senate, you know, as they get back to, to work through that and and, and other nominations, uh, such as Governor Brownback as uh, right. you know one of the ambassadors that was appointed by by the president. And 
realistically, if I were looking at that, it'd be late September or probably more like October before before the governor's uh, nomination could be confirmed, just the, the way the timing seems to have worked. So what are you hearing specifically from businesses in the district, uh, business I think, owners? I think several things that we're, we're, we're hearing. Um, one is talking about trade and want to make sure that we, we maintain trade as, as much as we can because, you know, in the 4th District, uh, being able to export what we make here uh, is a great value for us. It's great value for Kansas, great value for the country. And, of course, agriculture is part of that. But uh, on, on the business side and in, in the business community, there's so many things that we make here, whether it's airplanes or uh, whether it's large airplanes, you know, made, right. for, made for Boeing and Airbus, or whether it's, uh, you know, the general aviation airplanes that are made by Textron and Learjet. And, and even all the, the, the components and uh, uh, suppliers for not just the manufacturers here, but also across the country. And so want to make sure that we continue to support that one of the things that's slowed down in the president's administration and, and actually I think starting to become a, a bit of a risk for us in the country is uh, the length of time that took to, to confirm the trade representative kind of put us on pause, the United States on pause of how do we um, go through and work on trade deals across the world. And so I think some other countries were trying to jump in and, and uh, get ahead of us in that regards. And now that they've got at least the representative in place, they don't have all of the the, uh, the supporting uh, staff uh, yet prepared. But they started off with NAFTA in terms mm-hmm. of one of those arena. Now, you know, during the campaign, the, the president said some comments that really came across pretty negatively in terms of trade deals. And, and uh, I've been very pleasantly presently uh, surprised and pleased since the election that his his terminology's changed not from tearing up contracts but it's more towards you know how do we how do we modernize contracts and how do we make sure that our trade agreements are uh, fair and, and that's the big thing that we ought to look at is uh, free and fair trade and, and how do we how do we handle that NAFTA is one of those that's uh, there are some parts that are pretty important to especially ag interests in the state of Kansas uh, how do you balance wanting to get the best deal and also protect uh, the folks at home. There, there really are. There's a lot of positive things in NAFTA as well. And so, you know, it's kind of the, the terminology, and, and, and they kicked off a couple of weeks ago with with uh, revisiting and, and modernizing NAFTA. You know, NAFTA's 20-plus uh, years old mm-hmm. now. And so, you know, looking at how do we make it uh, viable for the 21st century, and we need to make sure we keep those good components in place and, and go address those things that either – weren't necessarily fair when they were originally uh, included in that, or because conditions have changed, times change, um, and you know, the world's changed. The internet wasn't a very valuable tool right. uh, over 20 years ago, and, and now it is. So we need, we need to upgrade those components and make sure we keep the good items as well as improving those areas that need to be improved. What are your biggest priorities when you get back into your D.C. office? When we get back in the House, um, and we had a conference call last week with the, the House membership and, and uh, with the speaker and, and the leadership and talking about our priorities and where we're going to go. Uh, in September, what we want to focus on is, is getting a budget passed uh, for fiscal year 18. And uh, that, that's important. <laughs> but budget's not necessarily the way you and I might think of a budget at, right. at the federal level. I mean, the budget's really kind of a blueprint, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but it sets up a, a, a a yardstick, I guess, in terms of spending that that's used going forward. So uh, we're, we're going to set that budget in place. 
uh, that comes important down the road when we start talking about tax reform, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, so budget's first thing that we want to work on. Next thing is there are 12 appropriation bills that uh, control the, the spending for the for the federal government. Uh, we've passed four of those already, um, and we're we're teed up to pass the other eight uh, when we get back. Um, you know, if you look back the last 10 years or so, all 12 have not been passed in any year because, you know, you get a few passed and then they get caught up in the internal debate between the House and the Senate and the White House and, and things just didn't work. So they end up coming up with some big bloated omnibus spending bill and, and throw a lot of things into it to get, to get enough votes. And so one of the things that we're really focusing on in the House this year is we want to make sure all 12 appropriations bills get passed so that we can, we can then work with the Senate to get that moving forward. This, this is the first year of a presidential administration, so that, that whole process is a little bit slower um, because the president doesn't have his budget ready when he does a State of the Union. Right. Um, so it, it tends to be April and May. So that whole process gets pushed back a little bit. Uh, I, I don't expect that the House and Senate will have a final appropriation bill for all 12 appropriations uh, done by the end of September. We're, we're pushing for that, but if we don't, then we'll, we'll probably come up with a continuing resolution for a month or two uh, so that that can get finalized and get signed off by the president. So those are our first two priorities uh, when we get back. Let me take off some bullet points, uh, some important topics that, you, that Congress has been dealing with, and of course, important topics back here in the district as well. Healthcare, healthcare reform, ACA is repeal and replace dead. What are your thoughts on that? Um, we, we, as a country, we need to do something. We've, we've got to get rid of, uh, Obamacare because it's failed and continues to get worse, uh, for people. Um, I think, uh, like most everybody in the district, uh, uh, we're disappointed that something didn't happen. Uh, the Senate couldn't come to an agreement on, on any version of, of repeal, uh, back in, in July. Uh, I, I don't know if, uh, they will take it up. For sure, when they get back, I do know there's uh, some hearings being scheduled that the first week, committee hearings anyway, uh, on the Senate side. Uh, I'd be surprised really if they do uh, take it up because I, I, I just don't see a path based on where they ended. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm not the best best expert on the Senate. Um, I'm still learning some of the things in the House right. and, and the nuances there, but uh, uh, that that would be my expectation. Which kind of says, okay, then let's wait till January and and see what happens then, because the things kind of get reset a little bit with a new calendar year. So we'll have new premium rates for people that'll gonna go up, be right. more expensive. Uh, people will have more pain and suffering through trying to figure out how do they pay for a premium. They do have insurance. How do you handle that that large deductible so that you know you really sometimes can't get care because of the cost of that deductible and what you have to pay. Uh, the number of insurance companies that are pulling out of not offering services on an Obamacare exchange. Uh, just all of these things are failing. So we need to make sure that um, when we come, when, when 2018 rolls around, that, um, you know, we, there'll, there'll be more pain and suffering. So that may be the, the time to take that up. One of the things we want to be concerned about is making sure that, you know, 
that we don't push the the thought process that well let's just bail out the Obamacare exchanges and and throw more money at it because that that really doesn't solve the problem and uh, I'm sure that's going to be the message this fall if the Senate doesn't do anything so we need to make sure we uh, uh, we don't go down that route of, of doing additional bailouts for those those uh, Obamacare insurance exchanges you're familiar with Josh Umber and his Atlas MD uh, idea that has taken off um, we had him in for a podcast and we were talking to him about, um, he was saying maybe a system of block grants can work. And uh, as long as the sort of red tape, I hope I'm characterizing this right for Josh, uh, reduce the red tape, reduce the paperwork, and actually get that money to the people who, uh, to their patients who need care. What do you think about that? You know, it's kind of interesting that that whole um, um process with uh, doctors and and having uh, you know dedicated primary care physicians or concierge doctors or right. I forget the terminology that that uh, Josh uses mostly right. with his practice but uh, you see more and more of those uh, several across the state I mean I know there's a, a setup in Topeka as well mm-hmm. it's one of those things that actually kind of takes health care from the way it's been for the last 50 60 years back into the same approach that you do for anything else. You know, when we think about car insurance, we don't use our car insurance when we have to replace the tires or right. have to replace the brakes or to get the oil changed, uh, but we've we treated our health insurance as if it should pay for everything. So, you know, one of these uh, other approaches kind of tends to get how do, how do we provide health care uh, and then health insurance is on the side that helps with some of those those catastrophic things. So I think there's some value there. Things like health savings accounts that uh, you know are, are available now, particularly if you're with an employer who who offers that, and you, you get a high deductible insurance policy, uh, gives you some opportunity to set aside some money that uh, you can then pay for those uh, those doctor visits and and uh, prescriptions and other things that that seem to make a lot of sense in that regards. One of the things that's come up in uh, the FAA reauthorization, of course, is the air traffic control privatization. Uh, That has been delayed, it looks like. There is a delay, but uh, that will have to come up at some point. Uh, You may be in an interesting position where you like privatization, but uh, the folks back home, the aviation folks, are saying, we are not really in favor of this. What do you think is going to happen there? Most of the major programs at the federal level have to be reauthorized every few years. And and part of that goes back to, you don't know what kind of rules change, what kind of world conditions might change, uh, how you want to set the policy for that. Uh, FAA is is one of those things that, uh, you know, is coming up for reauthorization this year uh, as of the end of September. And as part of that, um, some, some members of Congress are talking about what they're calling privatization for the air traffic controllers and, and are, are attaching that to the authorization for uh, uh, the FAA. And, and the, the problem with that air traffic control what they're calling this privatization is, is really it's a, a giveaway of the, the assets that uh, the federal government has built up over the years in setting up that air traffic control system and making sure that that, that worked for us across the country. Um, giving that to, I, I call it a quasi-government agency, but really it's a, it's a standalone entity, sort of like the, the CFPB is mm-hmm. in, in the financial services. And, and there's, there's no checks and balances on it. It'll have its own separate board that's um, mostly controlled by the airlines and the unions. And, and the, the problem is, and the concern from a general aviation community standpoint, is that they 
although there are some other seats at the table, uh, that they won't have enough influence and, and just the impact of what that, that board may do without accountability, without checks and balances is, mm-hmm. is a major concern. So uh, there, there are enough members of Congress uh, who've, who've said they don't want to do that. I mean, the Senate's not interested in, in going down that route as well. At least that's, that's the feedback we hear. Um, I, I do I do believe that um, you know at the, at the end of July we did a there was a, a whip count in terms mm-hmm. of seeing where the votes were and and uh, there were enough votes for FAA reauthorization but not if it included the air traffic control privatization process and so uh, I, I know they were working to get more votes for that what I'd prefer to see is let's let's authorize FAA let's come back and revisit what what should be done with air traffic control and and uh, how do we move that forward. You know, right now, one of the, the biggest um, benefits that they're saying of that is that it, it can have uh, the consistency then to, to get the upgrade to their traffic control system. But really, that's the problem with that is that Congress hasn't been efficient and timely in approving appropriations. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's not enough money. It's just that instead of being uh, approved on time, uh, and so the project's been delayed over and over because of not being able to uh, grant the contracts uh, because the funds weren't, hadn't been appropriated yet. So if we can get back to the process of let's getting our appropriations done, getting them on a timely basis so that uh, we can then control uh, spending, which which then will make this project work. And uh, there's a lot of other areas besides their traffic control project that uh, that'd be value of. So we need to go solve our problem at the front end, uh, right. which then solves a lot of problems on the back end. Next week, as we continue our discussion, Congressman Estes talks about getting help for manufacturers, tax reform, focusing education on career and industry needs, and the plans for his future. That's coming up in episode 15. At Equity Bank, stories of growing businesses are our favorites, so we created our own series. Visit equitybank.com napkin stories to watch the startup stories of great businesses across the Midwest. That's Biz Talk with Bill Roy for this week. On behalf of the great staff of the Wichita Business Journal, thank you for listening. Thanks once again to producer Brittany Showalter and to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Have a profitable week.